We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning. Well, the toll of the sexual revolution and the post-God society, the post-truth society, it keeps being evidenced more and more, uh, not just in America, but also around the world, with uh, Pope Francis taking a large step forward yesterday in getting the Catholic Church to change doctrine on gay marriage. So this, according to the New York Times, the Vatican said on Monday that Pope Francis had allowed priests to bless same-sex couples, his most definitive step yet to make the Roman Catholic Church more welcoming to LGBTQ Catholics and more reflective of his vision of a more pastoral, less rigid church. Um, Because we know that that's what God wants, right, is is, uh, to be less rigid. That that should be our goal as Christians. Uh, No, it is to follow Christ, follow his doctrine, rightly divide truth from error. Uh, But continuing with the New York Times, the new rule was issued in a declaration by the church's office on doctrine and introduced by its prefect, Uh, One of the cardinals who said that the declaration did not amend, quote, the traditional doctrine of the church about marriage because it allowed no liturgical rite that could be confused with the sacrament of marriage. It is precisely in this context, the cardinal wrote, that one can understand the possibility of blessing couples in irregular situations and same-sex couples without officially validating their status or changing in any way the church's perennial teaching on marriage. So joining me now to discuss this and more is uh, my dear friend and Colorado pastor, Gino Geraci, who is uh, the pastor of Grace Bible Church in Longmont. You can find that at gracebiblelongmont.org. And uh, Pastor Gino, thanks so much for joining this morning. And um, there was there were a lot of different uh, responses to this, this quote-unquote definitive step. And it just seems like um, Pope Francis, to me, isn't even a Catholic in terms of, of what he, I kind of like Joe Biden in some ways, but what do you make of this um, coming from Rome? Well, I think it's indicative of their ever increasing slide towards um, disconnect, a moral disconnect. Now, I'm not normally going to advocate for a position that Pope Francis took, but I want to put it in context. One of the contexts might be, imagine you are a divorced woman who um, has broken the rules of the church, but you, you, you can receive a blessing. Or imagine, in, from their uh, perspective, you're an unbeliever. If you go to a Mass and uh, you can't receive the sacraments if you're divorced or if you are 
a Protestant or if you're a person who doesn't subscribe to Roman Catholicism, with the expectation that you can receive a blessing. The difference, of course, is the the underlying um, thought. And the underlying thought is, what exactly are you blessing? Are, are, are you blessing an unrepentant person who plans to continue in their sin and their rebellion? And so even traditionalist Catholics are... Uh, up in arms. Uh, um, imagine um, a Roman Catholic who says, the Pope refuses to allow a tridentine, which is a, a Latin mass, but will allow a homosexual blessing. So there, there's, there's a growing um, movement, even among conservative Catholics, that they see this as a, a huge problem. Yeah, and I think that that context makes sense, and it and it also puts in context of um, what the New York Times said is reflective of his vision of a more pastoral, less rigid church. But it seems that this is sanctioning sin, and and also is um, kind of watering down what the Catholic Church has for its entire existence recognized as someone who's living in sin. And I think um, Gino Geraci, you're you're right to. Um, to distinguish between someone who has sinned in the past um, or someone who may disagree on theology like um, like we would as as Protestant evangelical Christians obviously disagree with the Catholic doctrine um, versus a a same sex couple that is currently and unabashedly living in sin and so why is it um, do you think that that not just Catholics but even um, some evangelical megachurches. Um, there is the United Methodists that are uh, that are continuing to try to embrace um, not only same-sex couples but um, female pastors. I mean, all of these things that go against the the traditional and biblical doctrines. Uh, that it seems like they are specifically catering to the LGBTQ movement. Well, I think again that that the real problem is kind of a degeneracy, a corruption, um, an accommodation. And by that, I mean, um, and, and, and I guess we could apply it in a, in a very real sense to the Roman Catholic Church. Imagine the deep a problem of homosexuality within the clergy. So to your point, imagine the deep problem of immoral sexual expression broadly in our culture, and even specifically in our church, where, uh, again, instead of, instead of saying, oh, you know what, um, we live in a fallen world, and I'm a sinner, and I'm struggling with this sin, and the biblical solution, obviously, is to recognize the sin, repent of the sin, and turn from the sin, <clears throat> because <clears throat> there, there are, there's a remedy sin, repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation to God. But imagine a growing group of people, even within, even dare I say, liberal Christianity, and, and sadly, even in evangelical Christianity, that is looking for an excuse to accommodate sinful sexual expression. 
And and that becomes the key point, I think, is this attempt right. to try to accommodate. And that's what we're seeing from so many pastors and so many churches because they don't want to be labeled as hateful bigots or um, all of these other th- other accusations that uh, shouldn't even matter. They should say this this is the position of the truth of the gospel of Christ. It's here in the Bible. I always say to people who who say, well, you know, you're you're intolerant and and you're you're hateful, you're a bigot, all of these things. And I say, well, this isn't my opinion. I'm simply reiterating what is very clearly found in Scripture. So if you have a problem with that, why don't you take it up with God? Because this isn't just my opinion. This is what Scripture plainly says. And um, and I think for especially here in America for. Um, for the Christian church, it's, it is very concerning to see not only how the church has watered down the gospel, but how um, the rise of the sexual revolution, the LGBT agenda, has really permeated our culture. And there was one other um, story that I wanted to get your comment on, uh, Pastor Gino, as well, in this first segment. Um, the Capitol Police are investigating a sex tape that was filmed in the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing room, and a Democrat staffer was fired. Um, So this, according to the Daily Wire, the U.S. Capitol Police is reportedly investigating a gay sex tape that appears to have been filmed in the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing room in the Hart uh, Senate office building in Washington, D.C. The Daily Caller obtained and released the recording of the alleged staffer, and I won't go into the graphic details that are uh, reported, sure. but the staffer was allegedly identified as a legislative aide for Senator Ben Cardin, who is a Democrat uh, from Maryland, and um, and this is just yet another sign, another story that continues to come out of just full-on debauchery and open um, and blatant sexuality uh, that is not just going on um, worldwide with with uh, Pope Francis and some of these uh, th- these decrees that are being issued. But the realization that we live in a society where nobody is ashamed of these kind of things anymore. And interestingly, Pastor Gino, we contacted a number of Republican senators to come on this program this morning and um, and also yesterday to respond to this story. Not one Republican senator wanted to comment on this. And I find I found that yeah. just really tragic. See, and this is interesting because you talk about being between a rock and a hard place. So there's two different components to this. Obviously, we don't have an expectation that that non Christians are going to act in a biblical way. But there's, see, so we're 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 at a crossroads where even Republican senators are not willing to condemn homosexual behavior socially. But imagine we don't, you know, we we don't take the theological route just for a moment. In other words, where we just simply condemn the the act itself. But to a more important thing, the throwing off of social and moral restraints. Uh, so you so you have the sexual expression. Remember, remember, se- sexual expression is the one expression that our culture has decided trumps all other expressions. So you go, well, who am I to uh, condemn sexual expression? But then to your point, and, and the Capitol Police, it is heterosexual expression in the Capitol building among heterosexuals, is that appropriate? Is that virtuous? Um, Or is this a sign of something deeper and darker? 
which I see as a, both a cultural and a social and a societal collapse. In other words, remember, uh, constitutional republic and the rule of law requires a, a virtuous people. So freedom, by its very nature, can't be just simply the freedom to express yourself any way you want. Imagine if you have a biblical worldview, it's the freedom to honor and obey God. Is there a type of freedom that says, I don't want to honor God or obey God? And clearly, there's a growing appetite, even among so-called Christians, to allow sexual expression, no matter how perverse, no matter how wicked, no matter how unlawful. And this is something, Jenna, that you've talked about. That if we have, a, if we're going to be in a lawful society, then there should be an expectation of following the law. But yet, can we divorce the law from a virtuous people? And that's the challenge that we face. That we can we can have appropriate laws, but again, what happens if you don't have a virtuous people? That's exactly uh, Pastor Gina Geraci from a Grace Bible Longmont. Uh, that's exactly what we're seeing in in society and that's exactly what our founders meant that our constitution is uh, only made for a moral and upright people it's wholly a- inadequate uh, to a government of any other and that's because our free society does allow for example for religious freedom and it does not compel you and I or anyone else to believe in the truth of God to practice a true Christianity, but at the same time, a moral and upright society is also obligated to protect the rights of others. That includes uh, having some civil law and boundaries in a civil society for conduct, for social expression. Um, And so there's this natural and I think growing tension in this country between uh, the the freedom and, and the right to uh, to to be homosexual, for example, to uh, be a Satanist, even, for example, and put up a statue in the, the right. Iowa State Capitol building um, versus what the Christian inherently knows as the obligation of government to protect the rights of every individual in a civil society and build a, a better and more moral society. And so that tension, I think we are continuing to see, uh, particularly in America, as we continue to go uh, down the road of full debauchery, and as we continue to Mm -hmm. want to create a better and more Christian society. And so we have to take a break here, but um, in the next segment, um, it's a perfect segue, Pastor Gino, to ask you about the response to this, which um, has continued in some segments to be this thing called Christian nationalism. So I want to talk about that uh, when we come back with Pastor Gino Geraci here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning.
According to a recent study of hundreds of post-abortive women, 60% of women reported that they would have preferred to give birth if they had received more support from others or had more financial security. And that's where preborn steps in. Preborn is there for women in their darkest hour, deciding between the life and death of their precious child. You see, the reality is women are being pressured to make this fatal decision and are being told that their babies are just clumps of cells. Preborn welcomes women with God's love and introduces them to the beautiful life growing inside of them, which doubles their baby's chance at life. When you support preborn, you are not only supporting women, you empower them. Your donation of $28 will help a woman make a choice that she won't have to regret for the rest of her life and gives her the ultimate blessing, life. Your love can save a life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and I'm speaking with my very special guest this morning, Pastor Gina Geraci, who is Pastor Emeritus of Calvary Chapel, South Denver, and current pastor of Grace Bible Church Longmont. You can find that at gracebiblelongmont.org, and um, he has been a pastor and very dear friend of mine for years, probably going on um, over a decade now that uh, we've been talking about the things of God and truth, and this this tension between a moral and upright society and freedom and liberty to not believe in a Christian truth and to uh, be of this world. And that, that tension between religious freedom and the right of government to impose a good civil law uh, for a moral and upright and well-ordered society um, is increasing the longer we go down this road of depravity and debauchery in culture and a post-truth, post-God society. And so particularly within the context of this um, Iowa Capitol building and the satanic statue that was erected. And I'm going to talk, uh, by the way, tomorrow morning uh, more about this with um, Representative John Dunwell from the state of Iowa um, because he is a pastor and current state legislator. So want to bring him on um, for some specific response. But um, but in terms of, of how we just continue, Pastor Gino, to see this, this tension um, and even within the the government, um, for example, the Supreme Court being actually openly hostile sometimes to Christians and our free exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the response to the the depravity of culture and this kind of trend toward a perverse society that just openly accepts uh, same sex marriage and and even tries to to terminate that uh, and and openly. Uh, flaunting gay pride parades, I mean, all of these things and, and tons of examples. One of the responses from a segment of Christians that I think is growing larger, and in my opinion, because of a basic misunderstanding of what the Christian nationalists, the, the, the actual people behind this movement are actually espousing, um, is genuinely to build America into and to reimagine or reinvent America into a theocracy instead of a constitutional republic. So what is your right. view of, of Christian nationalism and why um, I, I think you would agree with me that it is a very dangerous ideology for Christians to embrace? 
Yeah, I think the way that I would think about it is usually just like you said, Christian nationalism is a derogatory term. It's it's a dog whistle, because I, I think that people are misunderstanding. So so let's break it down just for a moment. Nationalism is a sense of loyalty and commitment to your country. And so to have, to have a, a sense of loyalty and commitment to your country is not necessarily a bad thing. In other words, if that includes the idea of self-governance, self-interest, encourage shared cultural attributes. But what's interesting is is that, that the core of the criticism that they have is that, that you turn it into a theocracy. In other words, imagine, imagine, imagine um, critics who claim a Christian who wants to bring Christian value and Christian virtue into the political process. Um, they have no no problem whatsoever um, by talking about their own views. Um, can, how many people uh, talk about atheistic nationalism, um, or they talk about? Um, don't you think it would be misleading and unfair to characterize all support for LGBTQ civil rights as homosexual nationalism? Um, those who believe in the separation of church and state aren't atheist nationalists. The activists who oppose Jim Crow era segregation, they're not black nationalists. And so the, the way that I would think about it, yes, for the person who says, oh, no, 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 I, I actually do want a, uh, uh, a Christian theocracy where the revelation of the Bible is what guides us in the future— that's actually not what most evangelical Christians want, as you're very much aware. What they want is a constitutional republic that is virtuous. And, and there, long, long ago, there was a, a person named uh, Norm Geisler, along with Frank Turek, who wrote a book, um, Legislating Morality. And the, the idea was, well, you can't legislate morality, but the reality is, Every single legislative um, law is a, a, a moral question. In other words, if we have traffic laws, it's a moral question. We, we believe in public safety. Um, so the, the way that I think about that is, again, it's a dog whistle to uh, silence Christians in the public square concerning their own ideological worldview outlet. That kind of uh, silence isn't extended to other people who don't share our worldview. And so, uh, again, I see it for what it is. It's a dog whistle that says, you need to shut up. You need to keep silent. You don't get to talk on this subject because you have a biblical worldview and you're pushing for a theological theocracy. The truth that's not the truth. Right. And and I think that's very uh, aptly expressed, Pastor Gino Geraci, uh, my special guest this morning, uh, because Christians, of course, recognize that law is not amoral, meaning that it's not um, it, it's not just a an expression that does not comment on morality or have a substantive basis in worldview. Every law is inherently moral and it's and it is legislating leg legitimately 
or it is immoral, like what we saw with uh, Roe versus Wade, for example. That was an example of an immoral opinion from the Supreme Court. It wasn't just an amoral, we're not going to comment on whether or not a woman has a so-called right to choose. Well, no, by commenting on that, that is designating what the country expresses and is uh, holding in its law with respect to the position of life and life issues. And so when we contemplate how our law functions in society, uh, government is only legitimate when it is recognizing and upholding the moral principles of God, and we are advancing the truth of God in our society. But there's a very big difference between our law being predicated on the moral truth of natural law that we know comes from God, our creator, and our founders expressing our rights come from God, our creator, not our government. It's the government's obligation to preserve and protect our rights, uh, rather than what a lot of Christian nationalists who who I think are abusing this idea of, of Christians being engaged in government by suggesting that it's the obligation of government to compel a secular society to belief and practice as Christians. So in other words, it's not just looking at civil law being moral and upright. It's actually infringing upon the province of the church by suggesting that the government needs to act as the church in society and compel uh, every citizen to exercise religion that is that is Christian. And, and that's where I have a problem with Christian nationalism. And there are so many different definitions. It's, I think, on purpose vague. Right. But this is where there is a difference between a theocracy versus a constitutional republic. Exactly. And, and again, for to, to degrade or vilify Christians for for loving their country, is inappropriate. There's a wonderful little statement made by John Glove. He wrote this in The Fall of Empires in 1976, but it, it, it sounds like today. He basically talked about the age of decadence. He said, after a long period of wealth and power, Sir John established that all empires decline in this pattern. Here, I'm quoting him. Frivolity, aestheticism, hedonism, cynicism, pessimism, narcissism, consumerism, materialism, nihilism, fatalism, fanatics, and other negative behaviors and attitudes suffuse the population. Politics is increasingly corrupt, life increasingly unjust. A cabal of insiders insiders accrue wealth and power at the expense of citizens, fostering a fatal opposition of interest between the haves and the have-nots. The majority live for bread and circuses, Panem at circumcision. He's he's talking about bread and circuses from Rome. They worship celebrities instead of divinities, throw off social and moral restraints, especially sexuality, shirk duties, but insist on entitlements. That was his one paragraph prediction of a society getting ready to collapse. And it increasingly appears that we are a society ready to collapse, uh, and um, and this is why. You know, even going into the the Christmas season, I was um, I was decorating our, our Christmas tree um, in Colorado with my parents um, a couple of weeks ago, and 
and, and as we were putting on all of our ornaments over the years, um, because our tree is more historical than anything, it's, it's a representation of what our family um, has gone through, events in our lives, places we visited, all of these things. And I was commenting uh, to my mom, I said, you know, this is almost, in a sense, sad, um, because as we're putting on these ornaments from, you know, years and years ago, the society that we used to live in, even that I can remember, um, and I'm 39, you know, I, I can, that I can remember is just gone. And, and will we ever return to that? And how can we, um, even argue some of these, these concepts in law, in civil government, when it seems like we have an increasing amount of leftists who are so hostile to Christians, but then an increasing number of even those who would call themselves conservatives, that for some reason, Pastor Gino, it, it, it seems like there is a lack of an ability to analyze and to grasp arguments and to reason together. You know, the Bible says, come, let us reason together. And it seems like reason has has gone from this society. Yeah, reason, evidence, logic, persuasion, all of these are have to go away in the postmodern caricature of what I call ideological social justice, what others call wokeism, where remember Everything's based on your feelings, and everything in part is based on the subjectivity of oppressor and oppressed. And so law itself, the the function in society itself, is based on self. But So I think that what we have to do is go back to (laughs) the fundamental gospel. You know, uh, last Sunday at Grace uh, Bible Church, I talked about the true meaning of Christmas, and I suggested that the true meaning of uh, of, Chris, of Christmas is love, but also that God so loved the world that He gave His only one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. In other words, we go back and we say, no, sin is the problem, and Jesus is the solution. Um, ignorance can be remedied with education and understanding, but we're back to that moral stain, virtue. What will make a people virtuous? What will make them want to act in a selfless and sacrificial way? And usually it's because there's a a common good that we share. And so even though we as Christians believe that the function of government, or or at least the most important function of government, is to promote righteousness and prevent wickedness, imagine you're living in a world where righteousness and wickedness are meaningless words. That would be reflective of, I think, Washington, D.C. right now and and a few other uh, <laughs> cities that, that we could point out, certainly the state of California and some places in New York. But, but this is where we do need to continue as Christians to advocate for the measurable difference between right and wrong, good and evil, uh, because you're absolutely right, Pastor Gino, that it is an obligation of government to promote good and restrain evil and how we do that in a post-truth society that is not virtuous becomes that tension uh, when the right to 
uh, free speech, the right to believe, uh, the right even to free exercise of religion uh, that doesn't only include Christianity is a guarantee of government. And we have to live in a pluralistic society. And it becomes more and more difficult to parse some of these issues when you have competing rights. When you have on one hand, the same-sex couple who wants to buy the cake, and on the other hand, the cake baker that says, I don't want to participate in speech and celebration of an activity that I fundamentally disagree with. And so these are the tension points in our society. And, And I have to go back to a case from the 1940s. It's Cantwell versus Connecticut. And the Supreme Court said this, the First Amendment embraces two concepts, freedom to believe and freedom to act. The first is absolute, the freedom to believe. But in the nature of things, the second cannot be. Conduct remains subject to regulation for protection of society. The freedom to act must have appropriate definition to preserve the enforcement of that protection. In every case, the power to regulate must be so exercised as not in attaining a permissible end unduly to infringe the protected freedom. No one would contest the proposition that a state may not, by statute, wholly deny the right to preach or to disseminate religious views. Plainly, such a previous and absolute restraint would violate the terms of the guarantee. It is equally clear that the state may, by general and non-discriminatory legislation, regulate the times, the places, and the manners of soliciting upon its streets, the holding of meetings, and may, in other respects, safeguard the peace, good order, and comfort of the community without unconstitutionally invading the liberties protected. Um, This is Cantwell versus Connecticut. It's a Supreme Court case from 1940. And I think, Pastor Gino, um, that that just perfectly articulates the tension that we're seeing in an ever-increasing, almost 100 years ago, we're still seeing that tension between the right to free exercise and the right to build a moral and upright society. So we need to continue to talk about these things. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I wrote about this in a book called The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution, a Guide for Christians to Understand America's Constitutional Crisis. So we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with anytime enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And there is so much going on 
in Congress with uh, the conclusion of the term for the year. And so our good friend, uh, Representative Jim Jordan from the great state of Ohio, joins me now. And uh, where to start? (laughs) Because there's uh, a lot going on with um, impeachment, three Republicans retiring, the reauthorization of FISA, everything going on with Hunter Biden. Uh, Overall, uh, Jim Jordan, I I think, um, break this down in terms of what is most important leading into the new year. Well, I, I'd, I'd say the most important place to start is Merry Christmas, Jenna. Good to be good to be with you. Uh, <laughs> Merry Christmas. It, it, there is, uh, yeah, there's a number of things that are, that are going to come come up uh, in in January, uh, and maybe first and foremost is now we have we've taken an official vote to uh, majority of the House is on record now saying we should be be in an official impeachment inquiry um, where we're looking into uh, the, the the Biden family in particular, the president President Biden and his actions related to Hunter Biden. And this, this so-called business that they ran. So um, we, we've done I think the big takeaway last week when that happened was every single Republican voted for it. You know, the conventional wisdom was that wasn't going to be the case. But I think the evidence is already uh, so compelling that um, members, Republican members said, yeah, we should we should make this official uh, and, and take this vote. And that helps us if, in fact, we do wind up in court on some of these issues where we're trying to get documents or trying to get certain people in to uh, – to be deposed, uh, for, you know, to, to have them in for testimony. So uh, it was a strong vote last week. And maybe the other big takeaway, of course, was Hunter Biden's press conference, where he, he, on the same day we took that vote, he was scheduled to be in for a deposition, and he said he wasn't coming. Although we came to Capitol Hill, came to the Capitol, would not come to the Rayburn office building for uh, for his scheduled deposition, uh, which I mean, I think means we'll, we'll probably move into contempt proceedings here uh, as soon as we get back in January. And uh, and Representative Jim Jordan, I, I think the contempt proceedings uh, are something that Republicans and conservatives are, um, dare I say, looking forward to after the weaponization of government and the clear, um, you know, violation of some of the uh, the House rules with the formation of the January Sixth Committee and so forth. And we saw, mm-hmm. you know, some of of that uh, being targeted against Republicans. And so, how is this different? Because I'm seeing a lot of pushback from. Uh, the Democrats and the leftists suggesting that uh, that this type of contempt uh, would be hypocritical. Well, I think they're saying that because you know there was uh, they they there were subpoenas for Speaker McCarthy to come testify, uh, subpoena for me to come testify, and, and and a handful of my colleagues. But there, I, I would argue there's a big difference there. And and frankly, I would argue personally, I never said I wouldn't come. I, I wrote them a letter saying I wrote we wrote a number of letters. But the final letter was an 11-page letter where we laid out all kinds of concerns, and we wanted to know the parameters, what was going on, the, the, the typical back and forth that you have. But they just they just dropped it and never never did anything, um, and frankly, you know, never, never never moved to contempt proceedings against any member of Congress, which I think would have been the uh, reason they didn't do that is because they knew how 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 wrong it was that they had, that they had subpoenaed us in the first place. But when congressional testimony happens. Uh, people are compelled to come. Uh, you, you know, when, when every investigation we ever run, someone outside of Congress that you 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 uh, subpoena for uh, a deposition, they have to come, or they come and take the fifth. If everyone remembers Lois Lerner when she did that. She came and took the fifth. The lady who was involved in targeting conservatives uh, when she worked at the IRS. So you have to come. Um, uh, that's why I, again, we will do a report. Uh, there will be a vote in the committee, and then I, I believe there will be a vote on the House floor holding Hunter Biden contempt. And then we'll see what Merrick Garland, we'll see what the Justice Department does. We know what they did to Peter Navarro. We know what they did to uh, Steve Bannon. Uh, they went after them right away. Um, and um, 
we'll 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 see what happens uh, if, in fact, we uh, when when we move to that uh, next step. Right, and that will be very interesting to see if the Justice Department um, is at least has an appearance of of not being biased and uh, selective prosecutions in that sense um, of just going after Republicans versus someone like Hunter Biden. And so on the subject of impeachment, um, because this inquiry has now been formalized, uh, we are heading into an election year and a lot of uh, conservatives are concerned about the Republican House majority uh, maintaining its majority in 2024, especially with uh, three Republicans retiring and then of course the expulsion mm-hmm. of uh, George Santos and that special election I think it will be held around February um, so can the full impeachment process be concluded do you anticipate it would be concluded before the 2024 election well I think it's again it's all driven by the facts uh, the, the, the reason we formalize it is because the, the facts were so compelling that's why we got every Republican I think to vote in, in support of it um, it's all driven by the. I think the facts, you know, when you when you look at the example of Hunter Biden's involvement with the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, I say all the time there are four fundamental facts associated with that. Fact one, he's put on the board. Fact two, he's not qualified to be on the board of Burisma. He said so himself. Fact three, that executive Burisma at Burisma asked Hunter Biden to weigh in with D.C. to help them deal with the pressure they were facing from the Ukrainian prosecutor. Fact number four, after he's given that request. Hunter Biden calls his father, then vice president, who then goes three days later to Ukraine and conditions the release of our tax money that was already scheduled to go to Ukraine, conditions the release of that money on the firing of the very prosecutor who was applying the pressure to the company that Hunter Biden sat on the board of. That all happened. And that that fact pattern is consistent with what the confidential human source told the FBI and they recorded in the now famous 1023 form the form that Chris Ray wasn't going to let us see until we threatened contempt to Chris Ray. And he finally let us see that form, let the country see that form, which goes through the same kind of uh, fact patterns I just described. So that, that, is, that is pretty compelling right now. Then you couple that with what we've learned from the bank records and everything else that Chairman Comer and the Oversight Committee have uncovered. And then finally, you add in what the two whistleblowers who came forward and told us how the Justice Department was trying to sweep this all under the rug. And you have the, 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 the old story of a politician doing certain things, those certain things, those actions benefit his family financially, and then there's an effort to conceal it, which is what I believe was happening at the Justice Department under David Weiss, now Special Counsel David Weiss. So that's what we have thus far, but there are still a handful of key people we need to talk to. Uh, the formalized impeachment inquiry process is going to help us talk to those people in a more timely fashion, and then we'll make a decision based on all the facts. And and you have been very consistent, and also uh, Speaker Mike Johnson has been very consistent even before he was elected Speaker, that uh, the House Republicans will go where the facts lead and follow the evidence uh, in what it shows. And this type of methodical um, process, I think, is is outlining what the facts actually show comparatively mm-hmm. with how the Democrats rushed to impeachment of President Trump right after the conclusion of the Russia hoax narrative. And they didn't have anything, yeah. and it was just a phone call, and yet they rushed uh, this entire impeachment process. And so there is a contrast here, and yet some of the Democrats are suggesting that this is just a sort of tit-for-tat, that the only reason that uh, that the House is targeting Joe Biden for impeachment is just out of retribution for Donald Trump. No, not at all. Everything is driven by the facts. Uh, you're exactly right. In 2019, 
the Democrats had talked for a year and a half how they were going to go after President Trump. They called for his impeachment. They thought it was going to be based on the Mueller investigation and the report that Robert Mueller released. Of course, when he released his report in mid-July, um, it, there was um, – there was nothing there. He said there was no collusion, no coordination, no conspiracy whatsoever between President Trump, his campaign, and, and Russia, none whatsoever. And it was interesting. The day after Mueller testifies is President Trump has a conversation, uh, a phone call with the Ukrainian president, uh, President Zelensky, and, and that's what they seize on. Literally the day after Mueller testifies, they didn't waste any time. Well, we'll just jump to something else and impeach, uh, impeach President Trump, as you, as you pointed out. So that is vastly different than what we've undertaken. Uh, our investigation has, again, been driven by the facts. The White House's story has changed multiple times. I mean, this was maybe the other big takeaway last week was when Hunter Biden did his press conference, he said in there, he says, my, my father was not financially involved with my business. Now, that is vastly different from what President Biden said uh, when he was candidate Biden in 2020, when he said, I had no involvement whatsoever. And then uh, this past summer, when we interviewed Devin Archer, who was one of Hunter Biden's business partners, Devin Archer said, well, yeah, there were, there were you know, 20 meetings and phone calls and, 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 and uh, dinners that President Biden attended with Hunter Biden and, his, and people he was doing business with and some of the partners in the business. So it went from no involvement to, well, yeah, I was at meetings, dinners, and phone, but it was all pleasantries. We we're talking about the weather. To now it's like, well, he was involved, but just not financially involved. So vastly, the story has changed dramatically over time. And I think that's something else that uh, the American people see and understand. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm convinced and I have been convinced since 2019 that the Democrats would have impeached President Trump for ordering a pizza the next day. I mean, it, yep. it just they needed yep. something. And that is a clear contrast with all of the evidence and the facts that have come out even as of today's date, uh, and not to mention what you will continue to investigate uh, to substantiate an impeachment if it ends up going to the articles of impeachment and uh, furthering that process. And uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, um, there's also a story that's out of Bloomberg um, from this week that BlackRock and State Street were subpoenaed in the House's ESG probe, and the panel is looking into allegations of collusion by those firms. Um, what is this investigation and why is this important? This is pressuring companies uh, to to you know follow the the, the, the sort of the, the woke uh, the, the left's kind of woke agenda. This uh, environment, social governance, uh, this this entire focus on driving companies and and behavior to the left. And of course, you're talking about the BlackRock with this huge uh, huge uh, amount of money that they uh, that they have control over. They have investment power over, so um, we're we're looking at all the all the ways that um, that that the left is 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 pushing certain things on these companies that we think is done in, a, in an anti-competitive way, and that's why we sent the sent the letters. But this this is all this is all involved in this this effort to, uh, in, in a in a sort of broader sense, we're 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 looking at censorship efforts and everything else that the, that the left uses government to um, uh, to 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 go after. Uh, conservative viewpoints, and here you got private sector people. We think in potentially in violation of any competitive uh, uh, be- behavior, uh, trying to impact uh, trying to impact other companies. So, does this have any uh, crosshairs at all with what's going on out of the Twitter files and some of these other things that we're seeing collusion with the Biden administration to censor conservatives? Yeah, um, we're we're real concerned about that area, and, and they spent the, probably the bulk of the time um, 
in the, in the select committee that's that's involved in looking at the weaponization of these federal agencies against the American people. We spent probably the bulk of the time there, and I think had real success in showing where big government, big tech, uh, and, and and frankly, big universities are involved in censoring American speech. And then, of course, we had that great decision, uh, which is now heading to the Supreme Court from from the Fifth Circuit where it's, it talked about the various federal agencies involved in what the lower court said was the, the greatest censorship ever, effort they've ever seen. So um, we, we continue to highlight all that. Uh, we think we're actually having an impact there. There's been stories written, you know, because of the work we're doing, uh, some of these universities are backing off their, quote, disinformation operations and, 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 and work there. We think that's a good thing. So, uh, yeah, it's all part of that. And this, uh, as, as Speaker McCarthy had had called it uh, when when we formed this Congress, um, uh, the weaponization of these federal agencies, DHS, FBI, CISA, HHS, all against, you know, the, the, the American people. And it's 90 percent of it, as the court pointed out, is 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 targeted towards conservative speech. So um, we're, we're going to continue that work as well. Well, and in just the last few minutes, I have with you Congressman Jim Jordan, and I so appreciate you coming on the show. You were, um, sure. as we look uh, through this last year that uh, this show has been on the air, you were my first congressional guest, and it ends up that your book ending uh, being my last congressional guest of the year. <laughs> so I always appreciate uh, your time and your, and your friendship and the, the great things that you do on Capitol Hill. Um, the, speaking of, of FISA and, and the concerns that we have there, a lot of conservatives, yeah. I think, were really frustrated with that reauthorization and concerned about Speaker Johnson. We started the year with Speaker McCarthy. Now we have Johnson. Uh, what encouragement, perhaps, can you give to conservatives who are perhaps a little skeptical? Well, I would say that the bill we passed out of the Judiciary Committee is a good bill because it has the fundamental the fundamental requirement in that bill is if you're going to go search this massive database and you're going to use identifiers of an American citizen, in other words, you're going to use Jenna Ellis's email address or Jenna Ellis's phone number. If you're going to do that as the basis for searching this, this database, which is was largely compiled by by you know surveilling foreigners, but but Americans get picked up in there because maybe you're maybe you've done business internationally and you've talked to someone, whatever. If they're going to use an American citizen's identifiers to search the database, you got to go get a warrant. And that's the fundamental thing we have in our bill that's different from the current law. And that's what we're going to we're going to we're going to push hard to make sure that becomes law. We think that is the right way to do it. We think that's consistent with our Constitution, the way you're supposed to do things to protect Americans' liberties. Um, and the good news is that came out of committee 35 to 2. So you had liberal Democrats like, like Ranking Member Nadler, who agreed with, with me and with, with Andy Biggs and other conservatives and, and, and on, on the Judiciary Committee. Um, so we, we, we want to really make sure we can get that into law. We think that's the kind of protections that Americans deserve. Absolutely. And I think everyone listening would agree with that. And we are so incredibly grateful for the fight that you continue to push for and to protect freedom and liberty for all Americans on Capitol Hill. So Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you so much. Have a very Merry Christmas. And thanks again uh, for your time. (laughs) Thanks. And we will continue to pray for everyone, all of our lawmakers on Capitol Hill as they come back after the new year in mid-January. And we'll continue to follow all of those things right here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. We're out of time for today, but you can always reach me and my team, Jenna, at AFR.net. And I will see you tomorrow morning, bright and early.
I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest-serving health cost-sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.